What separates the casual Jane Austen fan? Oh, Janie, it's gotten so much worse. From the aficionado. The number of times she's read Austen's novels or her consuming love for Mr. Darcy. This is the best part. Unbelievable. She finds her way here to the world's only immersive Austen experience. You're going to the Darcy place too? Yes. I memorized the first three chapters of Pride and Prejudice when I was 13. <laughs> What's that? Welcome to the Regency era. Look at those. I expect my guests to eschew all things modern. May I present Miss Jane Erstwhile, an orphan of no fortune. Uh, oh. You have paid for the basic copper package. You're in the servant's wing. You're in the creepy tower. I'm so mad I wasted all my money. Oh, look. It's one of those Mr. Darcy guys. I hear there was a ball on our last night. Do you enjoy dancing? Not particularly. You have been unlucky in love. I am single because apparently the only good men are fictional. What do you guys think of that girl, Jane? She's a bit peculiar. You try to catch her eye. Hallie ho, a hunting we will go! I'm kind of a mess, aren't I? She's got a I'm going to take charge of my story. An Austin heroine gets engaged by the end of the book. That is what I'm going to do. I'm really into you. You want to get out of here? What's that from? Hello and welcome to K Have You Seen Yet Another Episode, the podcast with hot takes on cold viewings. I'm Kari. I'm Kyle. And today we're going to talk about, I'm not going to call it a classic. You know, it's not a classic. <laughs> not everything's a classic. Ooh, boy, a first. Um, <laughs> it's modern, all right? Uh, Austin Land, the 2013 film starring Carrie Russell and um, a couple other lesser known people, but also yeah. Brett McKenzie from The Flight of the Concords. Yes. Um, yeah. So, Kyle, you want to give us just like a little quick rundown? So, this is a movie about a, uh, a woman who is like a Jane Austen super fan. And very quickly, at the very beginning of the movie, she breaks up with her boyfriend, husband, unclear. It wasn't totally spelled out, I don't oh, think. I think. I think it was a string of, of disappointing relationships. Got it, okay. Yeah. Um, and basically, she is at a point in her life where she says, you know what, screw it. I'm going to do something big for me. I'm really into Jane Austen. I want to go to this Westworld-esque uh, deep immersion Jane Austen experience <laughs> called Austin Land. It's like a dude ranch, but I, for the yeah, Regency era. Like. Very much. <laughs> and, it, and it's extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. And her friends tell her, don't do this. And she decides to do it anyway. So she, in, as we are told, blows her entire life savings, which I, I mean, respect, because my life savings is not a lot of money also. Um, so I, she blows her entire life savings to go do this like deep immersion thing. Mm -hmm. And she gets there, and things are kind of exactly as advertised, but also not quite what she expected, which yes. is kind of a weird situation. And throughout the experience, it's supposed to be this kind of, you know, live in early 19th century romance novel thing. Yes. And so she is supposed to find this connection with somebody. That's part of the experience. Again, You're guaranteed romance. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, this whole place is run by Jane Seymour also. Amazing. She's <laughs> just great. She's like the wicked stepmother from absolutely. anything and gorgeous. Yeah. 
and so our, our hero, whose name is also Jane, um, she has kind of a, a, a flirtation with one of the help at mm-hmm. this place, basically the groundskeeper, more or less, uh, played by Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords, yes. while also kind of getting involved in the kind of the romantic entanglement that seems to be scripted right. within the experience as well. And we'll get into all this yeah, in much yeah, more yeah. detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't give away all the right. cards just yet. But uh, but essentially she gets into this situation and ha- and finds that it is, again, exactly as advertised while also not quite what she expected. And, um, and by the end of the film, she has certainly had a change of perspective, yes. I will say. And there's really not a whole lot of... There's really not a way to simply say that without completely giving away the way this whole thing we'll turns out. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, as I mentioned, so the cast for this is... You know, it was is an indie. I think I think six million dollars was the budget when I, I looked that. it up. I believe that. Uh, or four million nine hundred Great British pounds, as it's listed in IMDb. GBP, um, as we call it. GBP, yes. Um, so it, it's a good cast of kind of people you love but aren't superstars. So Carrie Russell is amazing. JJ Field is that uh, potentially scripted love interest who mm-hmm. is just. An amazing knockoff of Jude Law, like just a very handsome, low-budget Jude Law, and I thought he was incredible. We can talk about that. Brett McKenzie, who is wonderful to watch, he's another one that I would probably see anything that he's in. He's just a sweet little Kiwi. Um, (laughs) Jennifer Coolidge in an amazing take on her exact same character from Legally Blonde. Yes, loved it. She's, I guess, married rich and. Made a lot of money, but she's we still the woman from the nail very, salon. She could very well be a self-made millionaire. Yes. Uh, it's not really explained in this film. Yeah, and that's uh, Jane Seymour, as we already mentioned. Um, and then those are pretty much the most mm-hmm. recognizable names. Georgia King, who played the other woman. There's three women at the retreat at the same yes. time. She looked very familiar, and I couldn't find anything I recognized her from. But she yeah. was incredible. Incredible. Very good. And then also uh, James Callis uh, as Colonel Andrews. And uh, I take it you did not watch the Battlestar Galactica remake uh, oh, from a I few did years it. ago. He did he plays, look kind of familiar. He plays a major part in that show. Gotcha, He's gotcha. like one of the okay. main characters. He just, I don't know if he seemed familiar or if his character was such an archetype that it, he was that very like, oh, my dear, like, oh, like that very fancy man. Uh, yeah. Just so he was uh, everything. He was like always doing something in the background that was just so funny. Shall we retreat to um, the garden, my dad? Yeah. Like, oh, no, she must tell us. She must. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Um, directed by Jerusha Hess. Yes. The uh, one of the co-writers of Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, one she of has the some amazing. Of Libre. <laughs> yes. Also married to Jared Hess yeah. from, of of several of those fame. Um, yeah, I didn't, I wouldn't have recognized her name, but once I looked her up, I was like, oh my God, yes, I see those sensibilities in this movie. Like the, there's a lot of Napoleon Dynamite and potentially Nacho Libre even in this very different from those two things film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that will come into play in the course of our conversation as well, because I think Mm. that there is a, uh. I mean, I'll just say, I think that there was a little bit of a disconnect throughout mm. this movie in mm-hmm. terms of the tone, sometimes going for that, old, that more like indie comedy type of thing, mm-hmm. and sometimes very much steering away from it. And it was sometimes unclear oh. as to like, what was intended to be the dominant like tone in a gotcha. given... Gotcha. But I, I've got a lot to say about this, yes, and so like, yeah. we'll, we, we'll, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. 
Um, last little credit I'll call out, uh, produced by Stephanie Myers. Oh, company. Didn't realize that before watching it, but kind of makes sense. It does make sense. There's a there's a you know thematic universe yeah, there. Okay. Um, so I thought that was interesting little trivia that I picked up this time. Nice. So. Without further ado, just give me your, your abridged All right. first impression. So, I will admit, as we were watching this movie, uh, I watched this with a friend of the show and former guest, Anastasia Kim. Oh, huh, you've been watching a lot of movies yeah, with yeah. Anastasia Kim. It's almost as though we've been dating for a year and a half or something what? like that. Yeah. Big reveal. This Big episode reveal. of the podcast. <laughs> uh, so, at, while watching this film, I was confused occasionally. <laughs> I was taken aback by some of the major tone shifts occasionally. Mm -hmm. It seemed like, I, part of it I will chalk up to the fact that I had a very specific idea in mind for no particular reason. Mm. Uh, I thought that this movie was gonna be much more satirical. I thought it was gonna be more about like a theme park. Mm -hmm. I thought that um, the whole film was more going to be a, uh, a Disneyland type of a thing than a oh. Westworld type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know where I got that impression from. I think I just kind of, I, I, I took the title mm -hmm. kind of at face value and that's what I went in expecting. And well, so, they don't totally they dismiss don't that totally expectation. That. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, so it took, once I got over that initial like, oh, so this is not what that is. This is a completely different thing. I was like, okay, well, let's, let's see where this goes. And a lot of it, Let's just say the reviews were not great, and mm -hmm. I see where that comes from. Mm -hmm. um, however, by the ending, I think the last 15 minutes of the movie didn't make me love the movie, but mm -hmm. it completely recontextualized the rest of the film for me. Interesting. Okay. All and right. I'm excited to dive into that, because I think some of the reviews mentioned specifically the ending of, like, well, this ending can't work if... Like, either the movie yeah. or the ending can work was one of the reviews I read. Uh -huh. And I was like, okay, I could see where that came from. And I think that gets to your tone. But I'm excited to talk about what you think about that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So And I'm excited to speak about that as well since that's clearly not what your impression of this movie was. And I was like, wait a minute. It got to the ending and I was like, wait a minute. Is this why Kari picked this movie? Is because the whole the ending kind of throws the whole thing around? But mm -hmm. clearly not. So... All right, buckle up, folks. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Yeah. I think this is only the second time I've seen this movie, oh, honestly. Okay, okay. So this is the first time I've watched it knowing how everything ends yeah. and knowing what's going on the whole time. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. What, so what is your background? What is your background with this movie? So um, one of my best friends in college and I saw that this movie was coming out at one of, there's an indie theater really close to our um, mm -hmm. campus, of course, similar to like a Terra, something yeah, like that, you know. Okay. Um, and... We saw this was coming out. Both she and I love Jane Austen, love period pieces. It's something that, like, we sometimes when school would get really stressful, mm -hmm. we would just, like, binge some, like, North and South uh -huh. or call the midwife or, mm -hmm. I mean, very different periods. But, you know, that yes. British yeah, just, sure. like, ooh, that was that was our soap opera. So we saw this movie was coming out and we were like, we have to see it. We loved Flight of the Concords too. Mm -hmm. So like Brett McKenzie was just a huge draw. So we went and saw this and it, I honestly don't remember feeling strongly about the movie itself. I just remember feeling strongly that it was made for us. Like oh, this sure. was something, yeah. even watching it now, I laughed out loud. I like, I enjoyed it. I can totally, this is not a movie I could defend to the ends of the earth. And honestly, We'll get into this more, <laughs> but I think it's interesting watching it after 
Dewey Cox because I think there's some I saw similar things uh, yes, that I, I had agree. problems I with. Agree. It just never goes deep enough to truly be great, but it it felt so made for me. I felt like I really was plugged into the commentary it was trying to make. So I I, I just spoke to me on a level yeah. that I was like, yes, this is made by someone like me for someone like me. And that's not the same as uh, Jane Hayes, not people like right. her yeah, necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, yeah, it was just, it felt so like specifically tailored to a certain group of people I identify myself with. Right. And it was very, it's a very special experience. Yeah. And I think that you kind of hit something there that I, I think that what it has in common, one of the many things I believe it has in common with Walk Hard that we covered last week is that it is seeming to address this sort of cultural object that is widely familiar and trying to do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't, it, it's full of ideas that individually could have been really, really interesting and created something that is really special and really cool, but kind of chose, I don't want to say the easy way, mm -hmm. but the more obvious track right. in a lot it, of cases. I feel like both of them are in that trap of like a love letter to, yeah. which is yep. never, yep. a love letter to is never great work. It is, I love this thing, I'm gonna make something yeah. that like appreciates that thing, but you're not usually saying a lot of new stuff with a love letter to. It's so. never as cool as you think it's gonna be. Yeah, know? and it's never as uh, original or interesting of because course, yeah. those things exist and you're just appreciating them, you're not adding to them. In a lot of cases it become like it became like more of a surface level pastiche of things mm -hmm. than than anything substantial. Which it had a lot of ideas. Like I think that this movie that came up before the West several years before the Westworld mm -hmm. TV show could have done a lot of the same kinds of things of like the implications of living out your fantasy of a fictional mm -hmm. world. Maybe not in quite as graphic detail, but like could have examined some of the same themes and just chose not to. Yeah, there's moments that I was like, oh, I could have like totally dove into yeah. like what is the actor's experience. We see glimpses of that, uh -huh. but I'm like, I could we could have done a whole upstairs downstairs with like the yes. actors who work here and the women who actually buy right. into this and stay mm -hmm. here because that was a whole other world. I was like, who are these people? Yeah, where did they get their money? Like, yeah. how many of them are are the Janes and how many of them are the Jennifer Coolidge's slash Georgia King's, who are yeah. clearly just extremely wealthy. Georgia King, in a line that like makes me laugh at the end, is just like, my husband's very old. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, yep, okay, that's well, who you are, I got it. Yeah, and it's like, that's exactly what I'm talking about, is that there's such an obvious potential for, you know, the people that work here are obviously at a, probably a lower income level than the people that are attending this thing. Mm -hmm. And so that immediately creates an interesting dramatic situation potentially, especially if you're going to have a romance between an attendee and a, an employee, mm -hmm. uh, an ostensibly real romance between an employee and an attendee. I mean, that seems like it would open up a lot of interesting narrative possibilities just aren't there. Yeah, and the, I mean, even the Jane Seymour character is kind of this puppet master who mm -hmm. clearly has a little bit of a sadistic mm -hmm. something going on, and you, there's there could be an interesting story there. Yeah. Um, I think one thing I did find interesting watching it this time, it has a lot of the same value system that Jane Austen works have, and I think yeah. that was purposeful. That like there's a lot of commentary on, on just silliness and mm -hmm. frivolity. Yep. Of course, the totally. kind of upper class, lower class, and you know, not even upper class and lower class, but upper class, middle class yes. distinctions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just all these things that I was like, 
Oh, yeah. Pride, of course. Like, there's a lot of connections to Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. There are some moments that are just, like, plucked directly from every or a specific Jane Austen novel. And that felt more like that love letter, too. Yeah, more of a nod. Yeah. But there really was something interesting in the value system of, like, these things obviously mattered in the Regency era when Jane Austen was writing novels. And they map directly onto stories that you can tell now. So I thought that was interesting, but yet another thread that was never... That one might have been a little too subtle yeah. to truly mean anything important. So. Yeah, and, and this was... If I was, if I remember correctly, in the opening credits, it said that this movie is itself based on a novel. And I think that, that whoever oh, wrote the right. novel, mm -hmm. the author of the novel is probably a great fan of Jane Austen's style and was doing mm -hmm. a lot of those things on purpose, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really curious about if the novel gets into a lot of these things that the movie doesn't, and if a lot of things these were kind of thrown aside in favor of the more like broad comedy kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, yeah that'd be interesting to look into because, I mean, there's so much work that's been created, like fan fiction almost, around Jane mm -hmm. Austen. Um, and yeah, I, there is something interesting to potentially say here, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the whole idea of the excessive fandom, mm -hmm. the, the over the top fan culture, I think is very relevant. Uh, and I was really excited because I thought that it was another thing that this movie was gonna explore more, but it almost felt as though it, the movie was satisfied to show this person who is really, really into this thing and then they get fully immersed in it and then they pretty much immediately realize, ooh, not quite what I was thinking it might be not the life-affirming situation that I thought that this was going to be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they kind of dim dismiss that part pretty quickly. Like, she shows up and she's in full regalia. Right. All this stuff. Like, she's ready. And Jennifer Coolidge clearly has, like, no idea. She's mm -hmm. the first other participant that Jane meets. And she's clearly not at all interested in, mm -hmm. in the history or the literature part of it. She's just right. here for a fun vacation. And Georgia King plays her part very convincingly, but we don't really ever know if she's she's in it for the yeah. Jane Austen, if she's just in it for, like, you know, bought romance. Or but again, it's the Westworld what? thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's it's immersive, like, living history, but it's also a theme park, you know? It's yeah. like, people are going for very different reasons. Yeah, and that's an angle we could have gone down. But I also think the, the way they portrayed her fandom was very extreme. Yeah. To the point of, yeah. like, I'm concerned about this 30-something mm -hmm. woman. She's got the bedroom of a child. And yeah. clearly, like, yeah, she just, it, it looked... It looked concerning. She looked unwell. Yeah, and uh, that, but there's like, there's a middle ground that exists of people who are like, you know, a little bit spoiled by stories like this. Yeah. The whole like, oh, Disneyland romance fantasy, like that's a real thing that people have to come out of For when sure. they become adults and need to enter into true, and, honest relationships. And, but And I think that like, that is one of the things about movies is sometimes, yeah, this is a benefit, but sometimes it's also kind of a hindrance is that you can be very economical with time mm -hmm. by doing something like that to immediately signal to the audience like, oh, this is this type of person. Yeah. You know, it, even though in real life that would be a total wackadoo, like, lunatic. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, it was a little lazy, I think, because it just agree. went too, a, a little too far. Yeah, uh, also, um, just a real quick thing mm -hmm. is, like, I, I thought it was hilarious that on the IMDb page, so we've established that this main character, Jane Hayes, is obsessed with Jane Austen mm -hmm. and, like, the Pride and Prejudice uh, type of novel and things like that. In the IMDb description, this is what it says, and I quote, Obsessed with Pride and Prejudice, parentheses 1995, a woman travels <laughs> to Jane Austen theme park in search of her perfect gentleman. So the IMDb description makes it sound as though she is specifically obsessed with the 
1995 BBC miniseries Pride yep. and Prejudice. <laughs> Uncultured swine. At least you know that exists. It's not yep. like obsessed with Pride and Prejudice 2001 or whatever. Which you would think is yeah. true if you only watch the first five minutes of the movie because she is watching it with her boyfriend and then who who then gets angry and punches the uh uh, uh oh shit what's the guy's name uh Mr Darcy oh the the, uh, uh, the actor whose name I is can like never blanking. remember him because he and. One of the Hughes. King's Speech is the guy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, King's Speech. I'll cut all of this out. Who it's cares? It's, it's Colin, Colin Firth. Firth. It's Colin Firth, yeah. So the boyfriend gets angry and leaves uh, while she is watching the 1995 uh, BBC miniseries Pride and Prejudice. And then he punches the head off of the Colin Firth standee cutout that she has by the door. Which, which comes in... Inter there's a funny moment at the very end where, like... You might know what I'm talking about, but like someone sees the punched one and it's kind of like, and it, it's a funny little. The head hangs loosely, yeah. very, like nearly headless Nick style by yeah. just the tiniest thread for the rest uh, of the movie. Yes, but with all that being said, it's a good time to dive into the beginning of yeah, the movie. Yeah, let's do it. That's essentially where we start. Um, it's scenes of Jane's kind of unfulfilling life and romance, right. all basically hindered because she has this expectation yep. of. Uh, of a Jane Austen style romance, but also because the men she's dating are jerks who say things yeah. like, I thought you were an easy catch because you're in your 30s and like right. desperation yeah. seeks in her. That was another, that whole intro, I was just like, this is so lazy. Like, no one that, is this yes. bad. No one is this obsessed. Like, like the ex-boyfriend comes into her office and like slaps her on the butt and says all this degrading stuff to her. And it's like, what is going on? I would have, like, the one of her coworkers kind of observes the whole thing. And like, I would have called security yeah. at this point. I would have been like, here. this man is smacking my coworker with a ruler, clearly unwanted. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's intercut with uh, the ad for uh, Austin Land, yes. which is just incredible. It's uh, one of the better fake ads I've seen in really movies. It is because it's like low budget in certain ways. Like but the they cuts do that are not that clean. But they do that one really beautiful like match cut where oh. it's Jane Seymour with one hand out and it cuts to her in the exact same position in a different room, which I thought was really funny. But it's like not clean enough to feel like poof, she just appeared there. Right. It's like clearly I like okay now put your hands up. Okay, great. Now start talking. That, and she's it felt petting like it, a fake lamb. All the fake animals throughout. <laughs> so great. It felt like an okay local television produced commercial. Right. And like I've, before I've internet ads were of, really great. And I've produced a lot of okay local television <laughs> commercials in my you day. You recognize so. the word. Um, so it's intercut with that, which is just so funny. Um, so we realize that Jane has been watching this ad in a travel agent's office. Yeah. And with her best friend who's mm -hmm. been there in all these various flashbacks at the beginning. Uh, and she wants to take this vacation of a lifetime that will drain her bank account. Mm -hmm. Not enough for her to be homeless when she came back. I was right. like, is her apartment going to be there? But, uh, but she decides to spend it all against her best friend's wishes and go on this great vacation. She owes it to herself. Mm -hmm. Her friend's like convinced that she's going to realize that the reality is nowhere near right. as good as the, uh, as the story. So... She bets her if when she comes back, she's dissatisfied with her experience. Jane will take all the uh, mm -hmm. Austin paraphernalia out of her room, which mm -hmm. needed to happen anyway. It needed to happen but, anyway, yeah. There, that's like an intervention situation. Yeah, yeah. It was nice of her to let her go and <laughs> right. do it after. Um, so Jane's super excited, flies to London. She's wearing her Jane Austen costume mm -hmm. throughout the... Um, the airport, which there's a sweet moment with her friend where her friend's like, all right, fine, if you're going to go, I made you this dress. Right. And she pulls it out and she's like, 
what era is this supposed what? to be from? <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things, it's like, oh, you're trying so hard, but also, like, you don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Like, uh, you can't compete with the super nerd. But she's, like, wearing the outfit her friend made her and this huge cape walking through the airport, and people are, like, turning around and staring. Which uh, we've established earlier that she's okay wearing an outfit like that in public because in the beginning, it shows her at a restaurant called Regency which appears oh. to be like a TGA Fridays but or something like that, where she's just drinking tea from her own cup and saucer yes. at a restaurant. Yep, yeah, she has these little teacups, and the server, like, compliments her yeah. on her teacup. You know, you got to have tea paraphernalia if you're going to go the full Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, so she arrives, well, she meets Jennifer Coolidge at the airport, mm-hmm. who is just not interested in the Jane Austen part, but a very... Sweet and lovable doofus. It's, it's, the t- it's the type of character she plays in a lot of movies, specifically Legally Blonde, which is the very friendly and yep. nice idiot. The heart of, heart of gold within a just total... Just a real goober. Yeah. Um, so once they arrive, uh, Jane realizes that she spent her life savings on the copper package, not yes. the platinum elite package that the other two ladies yes. had gotten. Now, this is where a couple of realizations hit me. Number one was that, oh, so there's only three attendees at this Austin land. Like, land is a little bit of a misnomer, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I get why you would call it that, but there's only three people paying for this at one time. That's interesting. But then number two, I don't know if you've watched uh, the great animated series Bob's Burgers at all, Mm -hmm. but there's an episode of Bob's Burgers where Linda does something very, very similar to this for uh, a Downton Abbey-esque experience. (laughs) But she also... She also pays for the lowest level package and has to live in, like, scullery. (laughs) Yes, that's, well, I mean, Jane's living in the servants' quarters. Very nice servants' quarters, though. Yeah, like, it's still a really nice room. Her outfits are drab, but, like, she's got some good ones. Oh, yeah. Um, It's funny, the, like, Jane Seymour starts treating her just terribly because she's on that low, low package, um, whereas, like, Jennifer Coolidge gets this amazing room and she gets all these beautiful dresses mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So there's a clear uh, upstairs-downstairs distinction yeah. right from the jump. Uh, and then that night when they all meet for dinner, they meet the men of the house, which include Colonel Andrews, who is the uh, frivolous, uh, dandy type, yes. just with his like mustache. And he's always just like ribbing the women and making these little quips. At one point, he makes a like... They're playing croquet later in the movie, and he has a line. It's like, you can tell by the way he uses his chalk. Yes, yeah. He's a ladies' man, no time for such conversation. Right, yeah. It, he, hands down, was my favorite character. He looks like he's just having the best time. This is the best job. Yeah, he's hilarious. Like, he is a character that I absolutely despised in, in Battlestar Galactica, and so, like, I, he was the guy that I saw. Oh. I wrote down Colonel Gaius Baltar in my notes, and, <laughs> and but... In this character, it's it, it's completely different and so funny. Oh. He seems to be the one person that is 100% dialed into what his role within a role is supposed to be in this yes. in this thing. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. He was the best part for me, hands down. He's like method acting. Like you can tell. Like he's he's in it. He is period appropriate. You know, it's his, so his performance reminded me a little bit of uh, Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook in Hook. Oh, I totally see that. Yeah. I totally see that. I never would have made it the connection myself, but 
see it. Um, and the other gentleman we meet at the same time is Mr. Henley, Henry Noble, who is uh, Miss Waddlesbrook, a.k.a. Jane Seymour's nephew. Yeah. Uh, we don't know much more about him than that, except for he's clearly cast as the Darcy character. Within he one is. second of seeing him on screen, you can tell this is the Darcy stand-in. Yeah. yeah, he's like reading a book and just Furrowed can't brow. be bothered. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so they meet, and of course, I know, oh, ladies, you're so beautiful, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there's also Georgia King's character, who mm -hmm. for a while I couldn't remember if she was supposed to be an actress or a attendee. Because right. yeah. it was, she was really playing that um, uh, in Pride and Prejudice, uh, the sister. Yes. Sister of Mr. Bingley. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I got that sense as well. I was like, is she a plant? Is she like uh not, I don't want to say like a spy or a mole, but is she supposed to be like, you know, is she a staff member who is a a uh, a cast member of this of this house or something or what? Right, and that's I was like, is she is she here to be kind of the female antagonist? Mm -hmm. um, but no, she's she's there for her vacation as well, and she's doing this incredible accent through. Like, there's some <laughs> really really just like stereotypical I can't even there are put some better big words to choices it. in this movie yes. and that I think is one of the best parts about the experience of watching it is like the big acting choices that you're not really sure if this was a big choice by the actor actor to play their main character this way or if they're doing that double layer acting thing as the big choice yeah and, and that comes back that will definitely come back when I when we get to the end and when I and I kind of talk about the recontextualization here yeah. because that kind of meta, like, multi-tiered mm. acting and storytelling, I I got really hung up on that. So we can, gotcha. we'll can we have some conversation here. It's so funny. I did not foresee having this many connections to uh, Dewey Cox. <laughs> right, but yes. that's hilarious. The um, performance within a performance. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, so that sets up some great stuff. But later, they're all out and about doing whatever, but because they're oddly paired, two mm -hmm. men and three ladies, Jane keeps getting left out because, right. of course, she's got the lower package, too, so they're not paid as much to, uh, to you know, cavort with the right. lesser fortunate guests. The, uh, um, the orphan, I believe, is what they say. Yeah. An orphan, she's of, an orphan no means, <laughs> of no means in title. Yep, and these... It's just great because it's really mapping onto a true Jane Austen story. Like, it's oh, like, yeah. okay, we've got these ladies, we've got these gentlemen, they're all lovely and charming, but like only, uh, you know, but they don't really notice this girl, but we all know that she's got spirit. and It's a Jane um, Austen-themed LARP experience, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and speaking about, like, not knowing kind of the, the big choices, I read, cannot confirm, but I read that Jennifer Coolidge actually like ad-libbed most of her lines because I they couldn't that. get her to <laughs> memorize the script. So that just makes it so much better because her lines are so, she's going very big with the British accent. And yeah. she's like over the top trying to hit on the men in the first scene. And she's like, do I have something in my eye? And like and pushing like, <laughs> him into her chest. That and, was one of the funniest things also was Jennifer Coolidge like giving her all in a very obviously like Low class British accent, uh -huh. and also being the wealthiest person there, and yep. like, and and getting the platinum ultra platinum package, so funny. Oh, uh, there's a great moment with her accent later, but we'll get to it when it's uh, plot appropriate. So <laughs> later, uh, they're oddly matched. Jane's left behind. She uh, goes off and and has her own little experience. She's reading in the barn, and she meets Martin, Brett McKenzie, mm -hmm. as the stable boy slash 
servant. We've kind of met him already as like the driver, whatever. He yeah, doesn't the, seem into it. The He's driver, cool the driver of the like 1920s limousine, which I'm not sure what connection that has. Is that supposed to be like the halfway point to the British Regency period? I think so because I couldn't pick him up from the airport in like a, a horse and buggy coach, kind of a thing. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they had to bring him. But it would be like too much to bring him in like an Audi or something. So yeah. they, I love that Jennifer Coolidge is like, a real car from the 1800s. And you're like, oh, you dummy. Um, so she meets up with Martin and they have just flirty banter. He is the bad boy. He's not one of these mm -hmm. uh, actors. He's the groundskeeper. He's the groundskeeper. But like, you don't think groundskeeper like, ooh, the sexy not part of the yeah. scene guy. You think like, Hagrid. That should have been a giveaway because he is much too good looking to be a groundskeeper. Not something I consciously clocked, <laughs> but probably should have. But also, like, all of... At one point, Jane Seymour even, like, calls it out, but she's like, have you seen my butlers? Or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, right. All of the butlers are gorgeous. All the maids the, are, like, a little bit yeah. older, but I think it's probably the male catering staff, to the yeah, women exact, who come. Precisely. Yeah. The, it's all fan service. All yeah. the male staff are unreasonably attractive, and all the female staff are, like... 60 years old, 70 yeah. years old, yeah. Why are all the men, like, orange? Did you notice that? The fake tan. Oh my God, I think it's, it's like fake insane tan insane fake tan. Why, though? Like, what I is don't this know. for? I, it, yeah. uh, it was funny, though. I think, um, that was in, I think that was, like, a subtle thing. Like, to give probably more credit than necessary, I think it might have been, like, a subtle thing to try to, like, give the impression that this is quote unquote the real deal, but really we're just going to sex up all of the, all of uh, the, the, the cast members, which is... Which was reinforced to me when the captain eventually shows yes, up. Yes, um, we shall get there just soon. So she meets Martin. Whatever they have their flirty banter, and then everyone goes out pheasant shooting. Yes, um, and Jane is just a killer shot. She's amazing. Everybody's yeah. very impressed. Um, but as she, everyone's trying to leave. This was around the point where I wrote down in my notes, this is a really strange movie. <laughs> it is a very strange movie. I'm interested to hear more about that. <laughs> um, they so. It seems like that's what makes Martin notice her. Then her horse will not walk, so he right. walks to get another horse. I don't know why, for the experience, I guess, because she can't I not guess. have a horse. But it was like, why doesn't she just walk back with you? Yeah. That's, or why don't you trade horses and you walk her horse back and yeah. she'll, rock, walk, she'll ride holes. yours. A lot of holes in this plot. I mean, he wasn't thinking. I could do his job. Um, then she, of course, as she's waiting for her horse to come back, in a truly... Jane Austen, mm -hmm. no commentary needed, just straight from, I think, almost literally every Jane Austen story. She gets rained on, and right. she must walk back in the rain, right. even though she'll catch her death. <laughs> uh, and that's when uh, Henry Nobly finds her out in the fields, and he is just beside himself that Martin let her walk around in the rain, and like, yeah. oh, gosh, a poor lady. And she's like, no, no. And then uh, he brings her back, and they have a whole, like, Hmm, which one of us is gonna get Jane? Yeah. Uh, but it was that that scene. I was just like, yep. That super wide woman just walking in the rain in her petticoats mm -hmm. and her full regalia. That's pure Jane Austen. There were a handful of the shots that would not have been out of place in the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice movie, and that mm -hmm. was definitely one of them. Because you have like all of them. There's just these scenes that like you could put in any mm -hmm. of the adaptations. Yeah. And you have to have one of them in all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and essentially, like, the root story here would be very apropos of just a, at, by design, of a, of a Jane Austen story. And mm -hmm. I definitely think that the idea of, like, a patron at something like this 
having a like flirtatious relationship with one of the staff members is a very I think a pretty clever update of that sort of like class prohibited romance thing that is in a lot of like Austin and like contempt her contemporaries yeah. works. And to see the ending a little bit, um, it is like it's a very, very common plot trajectory mm -hmm. that the first man that maybe not the protagonist, but one of the main characters falls for and has like this whirlwind romance and seems to mm -hmm. be destined for turns out to be a scoundrel. And then it's actually the man that's been there all along, that's respectable and you right. know, has dependable, is actually the guy that that you should be with. So yeah. this was very much in that same like vein, which smart. Yeah. So then later, uh, Jane goes and finds Martin in his little like servants mm -hmm. shed, whatever, listening to music. They have a little romantic moment uh, before. A baby horse is born. Oh, oh my no. god, we gotta go. The pregnant horse is having birth right this minute. I almost forgot, I think is what he says. He's like, yeah, she's like, Do you have another girl hidden around here? And he's like, Kind of like that. Yeah, and I mm, I don't want to ruin this, but I had questions <laughs> about this moment now rewatching. The whole thing makes you wonder like how much of this is scripted and how much of this is yeah. natural. How so. much of the scripted experience is actually fully scripted and how is it even possible to script some of this stuff? And again, Westworld. Yeah. Westworld gets much more into the nuts and bolts of this kind of stuff. Right. Even though I only watched season one of Westworld, but I had That's a lot of questions need. about like, how does it work? Do people just disappear from the storyline because they need to be fixed and stuff? Or like how often do these things reset? Anyway, there was just enough time for him to maybe bring in a baby fold, but only because she took a really long time getting straw, so right. I had questions. Which, that really frustrated me. Bales of straw uh -huh. are wound with string. <laughs> it is the single easiest way to pick up a bale of straw. You grab the string. That's how you do it. And the fact that she could not figure that out, I was like, how dumb is this character supposed to be? I don't get it. It's a metaphor for how, even with her obsession, her modern life has not prepared her for the life uh, she thought she course, wanted. Yes. Yeah, no, I was like, what? I don't, yeah. It, it just took her, and then she just like grabs like handfuls of straw it, and but, runs. But it would have made a lot more, I don't know, this is a really small nitpicky thing, but it would have made a lot more sense if she had tried to pick it up and it was like too bulky because like, She's not in a career where she does a lot of physical labor. Mm -hmm. Those things are heavy. I would have a difficult time picking one up myself. It would be a hard thing for someone who doesn't know what they're doing. But to know at least where to grab the straw, the yeah. bale of straw, and then maybe try it doesn't work. Now I'll grab a big tuft of it out of the side. That makes more sense to me. I don't know. Again, choices. Choices, choices. people. Choices, yeah, yeah. She's not as prepared as she thought. I guess. Um, so then this whirlwind romance starts with Martin. She's like meeting him in secret all the time. They're going out on mm -hmm. boats. They're they're doing the whole thing. And then Captain East arrives from the West uh, yes. Indies. Now, before East arrives, I believe, or is it right after? When do we see the when when's the first time we get to see the staff lounge with like the pool and all the weird set deck? I think is that right after East shows up? I think it is, because isn't that when they're watching Captain oh, it, yeah, soap yeah, opera? Yes, yes. Which I didn't know what that was the first time. I was like, yeah. is this his porn? Yeah, like, it, it looked, looked like, like a porno. Because it it's like, like a very oh, romantic scene in a soap opera, and they establish later that it's a soap opera. I always wonder with things like that. Like, did they crowd test it? And then they were like, oh, we gotta, someone's yeah, gotta say gotta this is a soap up. opera yeah. at some point. <laughs> we need to see this again, because it is not reading. Um, so yeah, he shows up. Yeah, right after that is when, and Captain East is this like, just 
he like, like a swashbuckling Jamaican sailor with a like fourteen pack. Like yeah. he is always taking off his shirt, and he's doing this like amazing Jamaican accent with these valiant stories of his, uh, you know, whatever his deeds at sea, his becoming a captain, and blah blah blah. Um, so before we see the lounge, Captain East is like flirting with Jane, right? And Martin sees that and is like what? I thought you were better than this. I thought you didn't believe in all this like hype and whatever. And actually one of my favorite lines before, cause he's like kind of always na- knocking the actors. Mm-hmm. And at one point he says like, yeah, the actors are paid to be valiant. They get like the most valiant player of the month award or something. <laughs> yeah. So that he's like really line. knocking like them. That. That's like so that funny. Um, he's always knocking them and stuff. And he's like, Oh, like you're too good for that. Right, Jane, whatever. So he sees her getting schmoozed by captain East mm-hmm. and, has a whole, like, oh, okay, you're not the girl I thought you were. Bye. And she's like, are you breaking up with me? And he's like, I didn't know we were going steady. So that's the end of that. No more romance for Jane yeah. and Martin. Um, and then we see the actors' quarters where they're uh, talking about all the, you know, the people, which I could have had a way longer scene of them just, like, talking about oh, what they yeah. do, talking about Jennifer Coolidge and about Georgia uh, King and about Carrie Russell. I... But- I- I don't know about you, but like when I saw that area, I thought I loved it as like a design, mm-hmm. as like a design thing. But like I also this tiki pool, like shack, but also Venus like Venus de Milo, yeah. uh, uh, statue. Yeah, it's like very kitschy and a li- in a kind of expensive way, but it, like it kind of looked as though they were doing like location scouting or like testing out like stages for this movie, and they found a set from like an Animal House knockoff <laughs> from like 1983. And they were like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what we're looking for. Perfect. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I could have spent a lot longer in that that area. But that's when they're talking about, like, oh, what do you think of Jane? And Martin's mm-hmm. like, she's okay. Yeah. Someone else says she's hot. I don't know who it was. I didn't catch it. I guess Captain mm-hmm. East, maybe? Uh, I don't remember. I was like, all right. I remember that happening. I don't remember who it was. So we get the first taste that Martin might be more aloof than we think he mm-hmm. is. Which, in that scene, he definitely felt like he had a little bit of disdain for the actors and he wasn't really like, Mm -hmm. you know, he was like considered himself to be better than them. He didn't like dealing with them. That was the impression that I got in that scene. Oh, okay. Now the next time it becomes a little bit more obvious what's really going on. Yep. So before we go back to that, um, then next time Jane's out wandering around trying to meet Martin, Mm -hmm. she actually runs into Nobly, has a little kind of classic like, oh... Ladies shouldn't be out too late, which is kind of funny also knowing how it ends, like how people are trying to say things when they're trying to be genuine yeah. versus not and they're yes, still exactly. staying in exactly. character. And Yeah, like you're saying, the layers this, of that, acting You're, you're getting to exactly well where I want to go because oh, okay. it's like it made it very difficult for the audience to tell what's real in the world of the movie and what's completely just for the experience of the attendees here. Yeah. And that becomes very difficult to determine one from the other. That's This is an excellent scene to talk about that, actually, because she's trying to go meet Martin. Mm-hmm. Her, you know, out of the story, out of the fake whatever experience, romance, actually runs into Nobly, who's trying to tell her, like, hey, I don't think you should be out here at night, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then on her way back in, runs into Mr. Waddlesbrook, who yes. who, by the way, her. By the way, mm-hmm. a character actor who I did not 
I, I recognized immediately, mm-hmm. but I could not remember. I was like, this guy's in Game of Thrones. I cannot remember who he is. <gasps> he is one of the Lords of the Vale yes. in Game of Thrones. Oh, and yeah. it drove me nuts. And like, I had to pause the movie when I finally realized. I was like, I got it. I got it. Uh, that's, oh my gosh, I didn't think about it. I was like, yeah, I know this guy. But he also, he just seems like a guy who's been in every period piece. Like, he was probably so lit to get a, a modern movie and then he was like wait a minute i'm gonna he doesn't all the other people you can kind of see them as modern people right but him it's like no, no. you have never changed well, out of these still clothes got those, in like, your life long sideburns yeah those really bushy so sideburns yeah because this, so, this was definitely when they were shooting game of thrones too like this is you know oh, yeah know, yeah you're right around probably his first appearance in game of thrones i was I gonna guess, say yeah. we're in the veil at that point but maybe um so he just kept the same haircut it was like perfect <laughs> um so he kind of comes on to Jane very forcefully and the other guys uh Colonel Andrews shows up and and Nobly's there and they're kind of like ooh let's get you off to bed goodbye yeah a scene um, that was treated with not nearly the gravity i would have expected or hoped um definitely like nobody in the scene including Jane reacts in the way that i felt was like appropriate to what actually happened yeah which also you know it's been a long time since i've seen this and so i was like is this supposed to be I was like, yeah, maybe it's something like you shouldn't be out of bed this late. So that's kind of what happens. But she's like, this wouldn't be period appropriate. And I was like, right. okay. So that's them saying like, yeah. this is out of character. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of shamelessly used as a plot point. Mm-hmm. So, but we'll get to that. Um, so then next time, well, Jane decides not long after she calls her friend from the cell phone that she's hidden in her room and in the conversation decides that she is going to go full Austin. She doesn't mm-hmm. care what these haters say. Right. She's going to wear whatever she wants. She's going to have the experience she came here to have. Um, so Jennifer Coolidge helps her steal some of uh, Georgia King's dresses, I guess is what we're supposed to understand. Basically, so She's yeah. got like better outfits now. She's out there. Like this was, I thought funny because it's supposed to be so, I thought it was supposed to be really over the top, but mm-hmm. like she's having one of those like, take off your glasses, let your hair down moments. Like she's kind of in slow-mo going through all these different scenes, different vignettes of them hanging out. With with Betty Davis eyes playing. Yes. Which almost, that scene almost felt like a riff on the uh, Sofia Coppola, Marie Antoinette movie a little bit. Yeah, I think That like 80s pop song Mm -hmm. in a period piece. Yeah. That's the connection that I drew. I don't know if that was intentional or if that was just like common thinking. Yeah, I mean, it does have that, like, it is definitely a, a trope, like that, oh, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. now the, like, dowdy girl is out there, and she's, and it is a very, like, Marie Antoinette, like, everyone's in love with you now mm-hmm. moment, so that was, I just thought that was funny, because she's just so, like, uh, she's living it up, <laughs> right, and you're yeah. like, if you watched this in real time, it would look so uncomfortable, and even a little bit, I was like, oh, this is a little uncomfortable, but <laughs> it's funny, she's... She's finally having the experience she wanted. Um, And then it's shut down because uh, Jane Seymour finds out that she has a cell phone. She's going to evict her. Which, that made me a little bit angry. Not for character reasons, but just because I was like, wait a minute, hold on. What are the technology rules in this place? Because in this house, they're using hot glue guns for arts and crafts. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge has a television in her room. Right. In her room. There are blue twinkle lights on the uh, the trees at the ball. Yeah. There's a lot of modern technology in the diegesis of Austin land. Yeah. 
that is not addressed at all. Yeah. I think what we're supposed to understand, though, is that the rules are different for Jane. Uh, She's, yes, that's true. That's she true. doesn't get a cell phone because then once um, uh, Georgia King is like, no, it's my cell phone. Jane is hiding it for right, me. Yeah. And an also true Jane Austen moment, that like fake friendship that you make uh, with yeah, the girl yeah. that's like actually not that nice. Um, and so Jane Seymour's like, oh, well, never mind. Like, please honor us with your presence. Like, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So it's all forgiven and forgotten once she realizes that, that it's one of the platinum level right. guests' cell phones. So she also buys the story pretty easily, but whatever. She's not going to, the customer's always right. She's yeah, not going to, exactly. the rich customer's always right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I think, I mean, yes. Like, yeah, because the rules are set out at the beginning. Like, you can't have any kind of modern technology, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But I think it's just that, like, the rules are... She that wanted, makes more sense, yeah. She wanted Jane out of there that. anyway. I can buy that. Um, so then they decide, as uh, this, too, was a great Colonel Andrews moment when he comes out and he's like, oh, I have a surprise. We're all going to do a play. And, like, <laughs> it's so funny. He's just, uh, I want to watch his movie. It, yeah, um, totally. <laughs> and so they decide they're going to play three sets of lovers in a play. And mm-hmm. after, so Georgia King reveals to Jane that she is, she lied for her because now Jane can be her friend and help her get back with uh, Captain East, who is her, she was engaged with him after the last ball or blah, 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 has a whole yeah, story that's yes. very, very Jane Austen. Also very, very Westworld. Yeah? Oh, wait. It's like being a repeat customer. It's like, oh, last time I was here, I had this thing with this guy and, yeah. and I, I'm going to pick right up where I left off. Yeah, yeah. It's That was like a little nod to the like, this woman's been here several times. Yeah, she's like, like one of those people that goes to world. Disney World 15 times yes. a year. And it's like, I know how this all works, and I'm going to game the system to make it work 100% to my advantage. Yes, exactly. I also loved how she was acting in that scene. She does this like, <laughs> come on, Jane, like flitting. You just see her flitting around in the background, and it's just... Her, 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 uh, the delivery uh, of her, the way that she portrayed in her, her blackmail scene <laughs> was hysterical and it was so so good on point like that is exactly how it goes in a jane there's like that one character who's like oh we are friends aren't we right well the man you're in love with is actually in love with me and we're engaged but he can't (laughs) tell anyone because of his family and it just it was like right on Mm -hmm. the money um so now Jane is keeping the secret for her friend. They decide to do this play. So Jane has to be with Mr. Nobly because mm-hmm. she has to leave uh, Captain East for right. her friend. So they rehearse the play. It's all very romantic, double entendre. Do you mean what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Or are you just reading the lines? Whatever. Having the whole, like, you don't annoy me. You, I enjoy being around you, or well, whatever. Well, he has a great line, and like I, I legitimately thought this was a good line, and encapsulates, I think, a lot of things that people in general probably just feel when he says, "You don't, you don't annoy me. You make me nervous." Yeah, I was like, "Oh, oh. man, that's a that is a line too good for this movie." I it feel was like. so yeah that that was a good one. That was very sweet. Um, so then they perform this play. Everyone's having fun, and they have their moment of like, "Hmm, we're really connecting," mm-hmm. uh, which leads to just a. A run to nowhere. And around this point, I think it might have been during the rehearsal scene, uh, Jane has this line where she says, I don't know what's real and what's not anymore. And I was like, that is exactly how I feel in this movie. I don't <laughs> know what's too, real Gary and Russell. I don't I don't know what's real and I don't know what's not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it is 
it you get really deep and it's hard to tell even yeah. watching it even knowing how it ends yeah. i was like yeah. what is what exactly how much of this was scripted yeah so and then and then as soon as the play is over with and the interaction they have during the performance of the play that was the point where I wrote in my notes, I have no idea where this is going. No clue. No clue at all. Okay, good. I can't wait to talk about the ending. Um, yeah, there's a moment in the play that, like, you're not, I don't know if it was, like, not scripted or something, because mm-hmm. Mr. Nobly says this whole, like, thing, and he's like, I love you and stuff, and everyone kind of pauses, and I was mm-hmm. like, was that not in the script? Is that where we're supposed to get? Yeah. Also, but we'll see soon. I loved how everyone was reacting to the play was just another set of great choices like <laughs> Brett comes in a little late he's not really into it the guy sitting directly next to Jane Seymour is like standing ovation yeah, like yeah. up and down really enjoying it and it's like is he sucking up or is he actually like this enthralled with this play that makes no sense and lasts about two minutes but which, which now yeah it's and then everyone dies play. it's a very short play and that was the other thing that I, I thought of while I was watching was that um to your point about, like, yeah, all the male staff are, like, extremely attractive. I, part of me thinks it's just because Jane Seymour's character just wanted to be surrounded by, like, really attractive men all the time. I Could mean, like, believe. who can blame her? The puppet master. Um, so they have their nice moment. And then the next day is the final ball that ends the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Nobly asks for the first two dances. Um, and so they, you know, have this big Cinderella moment. Mm-hmm. They dance. He confesses his love for her in the midst of all these terribly timed proposals that apparently are supposed to cap off the experience. So everyone is getting (laughs) engaged at this ball, which was a little like, this is strange that they go this far. But yeah, we'll see it. it, You know, it bites some people less than others. (laughs) But um, so he like confesses that he loves her and she's kind of like, "Ooh, you know what? I don't think I like this whole thing anymore. Yeah. This is too weird. I'm going to go see something real or whatever. So she runs off with Martin. They have like a nice evening together. Um, and that's her last experience at Austin land. She's like, you know what? I'm done with this. It's all well and good, but I'm going with the the real guy. That was the point where she was acknowledging the fact that like the lines between reality and fiction have been completely blurred to the point where it's com- totally uncanny. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any logical sense how things are progressing and anything can happen, but that doesn't anything can happen, but it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly how I felt at this <laughs> point in the movie. Yeah, that's yeah, taking a step, putting myself in the first viewing again. The, the, it, it really is like. It kind of messes with your head. The lines between fiction and double fiction have gone completely out the window at this point. Yeah. Which, I don't, for all the bad reviews, it's a pretty clever, I think it's pretty clever about but it. Then I'm like, but then it, the same thing starts happening when I'm in that, trying to figure out, is that intentional or is, is it intentionally playing with it because it's so blurred that was this a choice on the part of the filmmakers and the <laughs> actors or did it just turn out this way that I can't tell what's going on was it on purpose that this is un- that is this intentionally or unintentionally blurred as for the viewer's experience at uh, this time? And I drove myself bananas trying to figure that out. Yeah, it is not. Yeah. Oh, once we get to the ending, we can talk about how well <laughs> we're almost it there. We're up. so yeah. close. Um, so she at the the next day, she's kind of doing her exit interview, I guess, with Jane Seymour. Yeah. And says the whole, like, and she's like, oh, did you find your stay satisfactory or whatever? Did you find what you were looking for? Something along those lines. And she's like, yeah, actually, 
I did, like, but it's not the one you planned for me. Like, yeah. I, you know, whatever. And it comes up that, actually, Martin was planned for her the, all along. Yes. This was the how outside, it was scripted. Right. The extra textual romance in the sense of, like, this being a Jane Austen novel. This is essentially, like, the the um, an, a, a character who has been transported into a Jane Austen novel falling in love with the publisher of the book <laughs> that in which she appears. What's that Paul Dano movie? Oh, gosh. I mean, Ruby well, something. Uh, or, you know, where, like, the character of the book falls in love with the author or something. That sounds a lot like Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah, it's uh, like that. But, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't know it's a that. romance, not yeah, okay. All right. a strange Will Ferrell movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, it. well, I mean, it's more like... It's almost exactly like the scoundrel thing. And she says the whole, like, well, it's a, he's a servant. And she's like, yeah, you paid for the copper package. Right, like, You yeah. don't get to marry one of the lords. Um, but he's not, a, he's not a servant character. But he is, a, he is playing a character, but he is also the groundskeeper. An actual servant. In addition, like, but he's, he's, rather than her being scripted to fall in with the... the so do they think that she was... Did they know her so well as a person that they... But when she registered, they were like, "Okay, none of these no none of these normal character types are going to be what she ends up going for. She's going to go for the guy who is working for the park, has to dress in period costume, but is too cool to play a part, and is just kind of like on the outskirts." Because this person who is obsessed with Jane Austen and Jane Austen character types and has I heart Darcy on everything that she owns yes. is not going to go for the Darcy type. She is going to fall for the guy that ostensibly works behind the scenes and, like, you know, loads the fake birds onto the air cannons for target practice. I'm thinking, so, I think it's cheating the system. Like, this is the low-effort oh, romance. Gosh. To really, for someone to, like, really believe that this person who's clearly in a costume, clearly playing a part, mm -hmm. is, like, in love with them and, like, giving them this whole immersive experience, you have to be very convincing in a way that the bad boy who's not invested in this, he's right. just going to show you this baby horse. Like, that's... It seems like gaming the system. It's the low effort version. It's the guy who brings out his guitar at <laughs> the bonfire. Like, But it still I, seems to me as though her character, that, the, that Jane mm -hmm. would be the prime candidate to want to buy whole, like all in, go all in on the fantasy, even if the character that she is falling for and is connected to is a servant character, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But am I to understand, as an audience member, that Jane <laughs> Seymour is so in tune with what her clients are looking for that she can psychoanalyze and develop this character that... Even the that even Jane herself did not realize or think she would be remotely interested in pursuing. She's the puppet master. No, Clearly. I mean it is a good. It's like, it yeah. It is hard to believe that you could make this. It's based on the string of coincidences that uh -huh. they're in this in the same place, which I guess you could script. I I think he's just that guy at least the way i understood it is he's that guy he's that guy that like just that like the the con what is it not the con artist the uh what are they called pickup artist oh yeah yeah he's okay. a pickup artist right. like okay. and okay. they're already primed to 
have some kind of like special experience and this is the way to kind of game mm -hmm. like yeah of course you're gonna fall for the guy who's like oh you're special you don't you don't believe in any of this stuff but i do see yeah i mean you're not wrong he's it, but he's not really it, it does require a lot of kind of deep psychological understanding to think that this would work because he's not really putting in a lot of effort on his part to try to like he, he you say the pickup artist thing but that's not really what he's doing mm. so much i don't know i mean maybe my knowledge of that procedure is like <laughs> less than you know some people's but it it, it it did not seem as though there was any kind of if she wasn't already attracted to that type or mm. that, you know, because because it doesn't really present a lot of personality at all. He's just the driver at first, mm -hmm. and then he's just the groundskeeper. And then her walk, which was that in, was that scripted? Was that prompted by the park that she went on a walk and when like, it rains and yep. found and and found him in his shed playing saxophone and listening oh, to easy mm -hmm. listening music like what, how does that all tie in? Like, that almost feels like a hyper-specific, like, tailor-made match for her experience at the park, which it was, but based on what prior information? Well, she did say she read up on her. She, like, Jane well, Seymour yes, at one point, right. like, brings out this deep knowledge of, like, oh, like, you've had a string of disappointing relationships, right. blah, blah, blah. Which also was a little bit of a weird moment because I was like, you're all here. Like, mm -hmm. none of you are on a couple's <laughs> retreat yeah. with your significant other. You're all here buying fake romance. But whatever, we'll, we'll rake Jane over the coals for her. Uh, so it, for, it's just because she's poor. I guess that Jane Seymour just inferred from that information that uh, she has a thing for mildly charming losers or yep. something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. It's, yes, that doesn't hold up super well. It doesn't hold water. Um, but it this leads to an excellent scene where the deep fake comes to a head because she sends Brett to the airport mm -hmm. to convince Jane that this has been real this whole time. Yes. Also, and Jane doesn't have any luggage. Like, what am I supposed yeah. to get out? She's like, no, no luggage. Thank you. And the man behind her has an I Love Darcy tote bag as well. Oh. Both of them have... I did not clock that. Yeah. Okay. It was... I was like, did he pick up her tote bag or did they just run out of props and forgot to make him turn it around, <laughs> it around. to the other side? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, but so he comes and he's trying to win her back and he's like, no, it's real, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's funny watching him try to kind of ad-lib this relationship back to life because uh, Jane threatens to shut down the place because of what happened with Mr. Waddlesbrook. Yeah. So she is so mad about being duped, which not totally sure whether or not it's fair, but she has been treated terribly up to this point and worse than the higher paying guests. So I'm on her well, side, but it was like, unlike oh. Unlike the other guests, she was straight up tricked. She was like scammed. Like she was, uh, you know, she was manipulated in a way that nobody else attending this park was because they are all within the bounds mm -hmm. of the park. And it's like, I don't know, did you ever see the Michael Douglas movie, The Game? Mm -mm. Where it's like, that is another movie. that I just now realized that that was what the vibe I got from this one, although not executed it as well or in the same way, mm -hmm. was that the, because I don't think it was intentional in this movie necessarily, but like in The Game, the whole deal is he signs up for this thing that is basically vaguely described as like the ultimate experience. Mm -hmm. And he signs up for it and it becomes like, he has 
the, it, it's, it's this really intense thing where people are chasing him with guns and he's got to hide out. And I, the entire movie, and, you know, I don't want to give away the ending because you should watch this movie, mm -hmm. but the whole deal is that he can no he signs up for this thing willingly, but he can no longer tell what is part of the game when it's not part of the game. Oh, like in his real life? In his real life. like mm -hmm. it, it. But that's the thing. It's like, in this, it's like you are signing up for Austin Land with the understanding that there are boundaries mm -hmm. to Austin Land. You're in the manor house. These are the characters. But... With Jane's experience with Brett McKenzie, it was outside of the bounds. It was not part of the park. It's like if you left Disney World and encountered a person who was still sort of like acting like Mickey Mouse or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I know. Creamy. Um, <laughs> yes, I, it's like yes. She didn't. Like, the grounds, all of it is. All of it's Austin land. She's oh, in the park. Gosh. She's in the bounds. I know, but what I'm saying is like having somebody who is like driving the bobcat around, or not the bobcat, <laughs> but like the, the, the yeah. Yamaha mule around doing uh -huh. chores and stuff, and like right in front of you, that is playing a part. That is badly breaking the breaking the wall. That is like breaking the fourth wall within the experience of Austin land. <laughs> well, sometimes, maybe she just knew she was really smart, and so she had to go the extra mile to convince her. If Jane Austen was known for a lot of like metatextual <laughs> like stuff in her works, I would probably be more willing to buy that. But as it was, again, like by, by this ending where it's like, what is real? <laughs> what is not real? Who is an actor? And it's like the actor is playing a non-actor and the non-actor is being an actor. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I was, my mind just melted at this point. It was it was crazy, and yeah. I don't think any of this was really intended to be as profoundly, you know, brain screwy as as it was as it had yeah. the effect on me. But that is exactly why I say the last fifteen minutes of this movie completely recontextualized the whole thing for me. Okay, yeah, because this moment we've got Brett McKenzie in real clothes, like in you know. Modern clothes at actor the airport. Clothes. He's in actor clothes. <laughs> yeah, he's got that like Henley tee and it's white. Leather whatever. jacket over yeah. his shoulder. Yeah. yeah. And he comes and he's like, no, it was real, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I'm done. I don't want to do this. And then in the middle of it, Henry Nobley shows up and he's like, no. And he's still in period right. attire. Yeah. And he's like, no, I actually did love you. And like, blah, blah, blah. Didn't you feel it too? La, da, da. So now she's got two men who are both confessing that this is real. I'm not just saying this because Jane Seymour wants me to and doesn't right. want to get sued. No, no, no. Trust me. And the, they're bickering with each other is very funny and yeah, that gets was a some good nice that was a good uh, low blows for being a uh, Kiwi. But uh -huh. um, so she's just like, you know what? Screw this. I'm leaving. Don't touch me. I got to get out of here. Uh, and she goes home to her apartment and tears down all her Mr. Darcy mm -hmm. stuff. Thank God. Puts it. Yeah, you needed to do that anyway. I don't care what you came home with, but <laughs> you've got a child's bedroom. Uh, and she calls her friend to come over, and she's like, yep, you were right. I was wrong, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and who shows up but Henry Nobley, who's mm -hmm. actually named Henry Nobley. Right. <laughs> He's a history professor. And they have a nice romantic moment. It was a little over the top in the dialogue, in my humble opinion, but... Um, I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> I can't help have feeling the uh, heartwarming of the whole exchange though so there is, there's that there is a moment i can't remember if this is at the airport or when she gets home but there is the moment where she says i'm not going to report your aunt and i was like why yeah her what? husband is a sex offender yeah 
So, well, I think she's just, it's like when you promise to write a review and you get home Ugh. and you don't. She's like, you I know guess. what? I'm putting it all behind me. Oh, Not boy. cool, though. Um, but she decides to take a chance on Henry Nobly. And final scene, the coda, Austin Land gets bought up by Jennifer Coolidge yep. and turned into Austin Land, the, the theme version park. of Austin Land that I thought it was going Kyle's to be in the Austin very Land. beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not totally clear what was going on uh, in Austin. Then there's food for free. There's cupcakes you can just grab off a shelf. It appears uh, to be a pink uh, Six Flags with a strip show. Like, uh, oh yeah. yeah, what? Yeah, so Captain East is doing some kind of dance where he's now. Where removing... do I know him from? Ooh, barring the obvious jokes, like where do I recognize <laughs> him from? Because I think that he's been in like some big commercial or something. Okay. He looked really familiar. Yeah. Um does oh oh man wow uh -oh. he's actually he's actually doing pretty well he's a shadow moon in american gods that's right oh yeah yeah. Forgot. yeah 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 wow okay i yeah he looks so familiar but i mean and also he has not changed his look for that show since austin land it appears like he's still got the bald head and thin uh yeah thin beard he just looks like like he's had a harder life in, since yeah. Austin Land. Like Which Shadow only Moon came is out like six years ago. That's, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> just the Shadow Moon character is like he looks the same, but yet has actually been through all the pirate stories right. that Captain East is pretending to be through. Um, have 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 been through. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of where we leave it. Austin Land is now owned by Jennifer Coolidge, and she is potentially in a relationship with Colonel Andrews, who's potentially gay. That, that all, was a, that was, that was the deep fake that too, went yeah. wrong, yeah. That was a really funny scene, too, when like she says, what do you think of, uh, uh, what, what was oh, yeah. his name, Colonel? Colonel Andrews. Colonel, what do you think mm -hmm. of Colonel Andrews? And I don't remember what Jane actually says, but then Coolidge is so, she's so really, she's like, oh my God, I thought you were gonna say he thought he was gay. Yeah, <laughs> was like, she eh, says something eh. like, I think, there's something I wanna tell you, I think he's, I think he's uh, perfect for you or whatever. And she's like, oh, yay. Yep. Um, also didn't mention yet, but in the notable scenes moments, moving into that portion of the show, uh, in the course of the play, uh, Jennifer Coolidge accidentally gouges out <laughs> Georgia King's eye, a which is A very intense gag for a movie like this, I would yeah. say. And then she's like, wearing an eye patch and does the dramatic turn where they're like, the oh, dramatic you beautiful. Turn she's hilarious, like, yeah. I really yeah. like the dramatic oh, turn. She's like very piratey. Oh, so funny. Um, yeah, and that yeah. that brings us to the close. Anything else we missed? Notable moments? I mean, I feel like we kind of got into what I was talking about, about how it kind of just wrecked my brain when I watched yeah. it. Because it, I, I I will be very honest. By about the midpoint, I, had to, I paused to like get up for a second, and I was like, oh my God, we're only halfway through. Yeah. Uh, and this is not a long movie. This is like no, an, hour like an hour and half. 22 minutes or yeah. something. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I did not love it, but mm -hmm. I, I definitely, by the last 15 minutes, I had been lulled so much into the sense of like, all right, let's just get through this movie. It's fine. It's okay. Not my favorite. And then by the time the big reveals started stacking up, I was like, what are the rules of this place? Uh. What are the rules of this world? I was <laughs> like, this is so, like the, the meta levels of like acting within acting performance mm -hmm. within performance actor playing a non-actor non-actor playing an actor <laughs> uh you know saying things in character that you actually mean in real life i, I it, all of the implications of that just 
knocked me on my back. I was like, I, I'm having a hard time computing all of this. Ah. You know, it was like two back and forth. Like, I don't know. It, it felt like there was a lot more going on than maybe I was intended to take away. But like all of the implications of it, like some of the acting I wasn't crazy about. But then by the end, I was like, wait a minute. Was that just like intentionally bad acting? Mm. Was that intentionally weird acting? It, it was, it was, it, it was nuts. Yeah. And I think that, you know, my ultimate conclusion is that it's not intended to be taken with that level of like deep fan theoriness, but I couldn't help it. Yeah. I couldn't help it. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that doesn't hold up past. A, a couple layers deep past the, a certain... Yeah. But did you feel like... So watching it now, I was kind of like, oh, like, this is obvious. Like, you, this is obvious where it's going. But you felt like the surprises were satisfying, I, were well yeah. hidden. I Yes, well hidden. I did not see the ending coming. Mm-hmm. It got to a certain point, like, around the play, where I was like, okay, so this is, like, this has now become this character who, like, this nobly character who seemed like just an actor mm-hmm. um, in the in the world of the the experience has now entered the game mm-hmm. and now that you like we're two-thirds of the way through the movie like we're beginning act three essentially mm-hmm. when he becomes an active participant in what we are led to believe is like a, a love triangle right uh, uh, emerging mm-hmm. and it was so strange and like I guess it kind of made sense. And again, I, I kind of shot this up to bad writing at first where uh, uh, Brett McKenzie just like dumps her immediately and is like, all right, well, if you're going to be like that, I don't want to see you anymore. Yeah. It was so abrupt. I was like, wait a minute. That's just bad. Like, that's terrible writing. Like, nobody behaves that way. Mm. And even when he's off at a distance with like the wheelbarrow and like kind of looks over at her like flirting with the other guys and mm-hmm. then just like walks off in a huff. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute. He, she can't even see him. Yeah. Like, is this part of the act? <laughs> is this a real thing? Yeah, that's... I, yeah, watching it now, it does seem like the pacing is a little weird. Like, if they would have mm-hmm. swapped some of these beats, it could have made a little more sense. Like, <laughs> if Brett came in a little later, but the, like, more scripted-seeming <laughs> romance had a little more time to yeah. build. I don't, Yeah, it is... It, it's strange. It doesn't follow, like, the structure you would expect. I think that if this movie... Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like, I don't want to rag too much on any... I don't know where my complaints are rooted because it could be anywhere, which is another thing that drove me insane. I was like, are these performances bad? Is the writing bad? Was the source material bad? Is the directing bad? Any of those things could be good or bad and they could all be good. Yeah. I have no idea. Like, is this movie good by accident is a question I do often ask myself when I watch a movie like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have no answer now. This is like the, uh, uh, the, the community thing, Nicolas Cage, good or bad. Yeah. Like, I can go back and forth on this mentally for the rest of my life and get into an infinite feedback loop. Yeah. Uh, it's like, how self-aware is it? And you just, you never know. You can never know. My gut's telling me it's like 25% intentional. Like, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the complexities that I'm wrestling with, I think, are like 25% intentional. 75%, I'm overthinking it. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, write to us and see. Write, post on our Facebook page. Anyone who has actually seen this movie, which I cannot imagine is all that many people, but, you know, let us know if you've seen it. Um, so did you write a three-sentence review then? I did write a three-sentence review. Uh, okay. 
Austin Land seems unable to choose between several main ideas, many of which would be interesting on their own, but when competing with each other, make for a muddy and often confusing experience. The final 15 minutes kind of make you recontextualize everything you've just seen up to that point, creating an unexpectedly meta viewing experience after the fact, but for many viewers, this will likely be too little too late. Perhaps it's best to just go into this one the same way one should go into the titular theme park. It's just a silly fun time. Very good. Yeah. Not the way you'd go into the, you know, the original theme park, but like yeah, the, yes. the later theme park. Right, yeah. That's how you should. Yeah, but Austin can't Land is a much more appropriate name for the later theme park than the original experience, yeah. in my opinion. And also, they've got, a a very, they've got a very aggressive uh, advertising campaign going on in Heathrow Airport. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those giant Austin Land, like, posters that are held up behind glass in the In, in case like, you're already terminal. in London, might as well spend all your life savings on a, a vacation. Yeah. I like that they have their own little, like, meeting area at the airport, too, for these two women. Like, yeah. there's yeah. enough for them to not actively be at the airport waiting for uh -huh. them, but have, like, a little checkpoint that you can right. wait at. Mm -hmm. You know. It's nice. Like it's airports nice. have. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway. That'll do it for uh, for Austin, Lance. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, that is pro that is going to do it for our current season, our regular season of KWC. We will be back soon with a Halloween special double Ooh. feature. Uh, we will surprise you with those titles soon. Well, I give a little tease beforehand. Once you know, maybe a week out, and you know, yeah. kind of give people uh, some time to watch the movies and watch along with us. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's going to do it, do it for us today. So until next time, I'm Kyle. I'm Kari. And this is KAV Scene. See ya. Bye. Would you live in a different world with a different meaning of boy meets girl? They have simple laws. They have simple plans. They say making love. We say holding hands. And if you stay there a while. Step in Austin.